Today we're going to change little things up, so it's going to be me and Pastor Caleb preaching today. Uh, and here's the reason why we, as we were talking, I, I told Pastor Caleb, I said, you know what, I'm, I'm just, I'm tired. I don't want to preach the whole service, so will you just preach the other half for me? <laughs> no, not at all, but um, we just want to tag team today. And, and here's where our heart is concerning the cross and the resurrection. There's so many, so many names that we talked about. So many people want that space in our life in terms of how we believe. And they're trying to do everything they can to change the culture around us, hoping they might change your conviction, hoping you might see Jesus differently. And their hope is that one day Christianity will no longer be. That's been their hope for a very long time. I love the story where I think it's Nisi. He, he said um, uh, that Christianity will, will no longer last more than 50 years and they turned the man's house into a Bible society. <laughs> you know, I love those stories where Jesus says, no, not today, not ever. And so today we want to just deal with the, the question is, is that is it possible for our world to remove um, the celebration of Christ's death and resurrection from our culture? And if that's possible, if they can do that, can they also do it from our convictions? And so we want to we address that today in the glorifying of our risen Savior. Will you pray with me as Pastor Caleb comes? Father, we love you. We ask God, first off, we know that this word was written by men who were under influence of the Holy Spirit, being led along, carried along is what the scriptures say. And so, Father, I firmly believe personally that if it took the Holy Spirit, Lord, to write those things, I believe it's the Holy Spirit, God, to, to read those things and to interpret those things. And so I pray today just this, as you, as you speak through Pastor Caleb and myself, God, the real word that's spoken is, Father, is what you have to say, God, through the Holy Spirit into each person's heart. I ask that you to prepare our hearts, make us ready, Father, to receive what you have to say. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God is good, amen. I tell you what, um, man. I sent a text to Pastor Scott uh, over the weekend, and I was like, man, you know, honestly, I was nervous leading up to this weekend, but it was kind of funny, but I texted him, and I said, we were eating lunch on, what day was that, Friday, and, uh, uh, or yesterday, we were eating lunch before getting ready for, for that night's service, and I'm like, my burger is at my mouth, and I'm taking a bite, and I've got tears coming out of my eyes, and I'm like, dude, I, I don't know what it is, but I just, I don't know how we can think about what God has done for us personally and not be moved by that, and uh, I'm thankful for Jesus today. I'm thankful that he went to the cross. Is anybody else thankful for that this morning? If you want to turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 22, uh, starting in verse 14, and this is what it says. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. So as we're gathered together on this 
very special weekend. What are we remembering? And why are we remembering it? We are remembering uh, the fact that the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus paid for us, that as the spotless Lamb of God, His blood would be spilled to save us from the penalty of death that was brought by our sin. I don't know about you today, but I'm thankful for the cross. I'm thankful that if it wasn't for Jesus going to the cross and shedding his blood, there would be no propitiation for your sins and for my sins. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is the gospel. This is the gospel that we would remember or that we would not lose sight of what Christ has done for us. That we would take it to heart what was accomplished on the cross that we might have the blood that was shed on Calvary's cross applied to our lives so that we could be forever changed, so that we could be forever healed, so that we could be forever free. If you're thankful for that today, will you just give the Lord a shout of praise today? And so we remember this. Why? Because it was important to him that we do so. Why was it so important? Why do we see as we read throughout the scripture, why was it so important? Why did he place such a vitality on the fact that he wanted to take time? He wanted us to take time to remember what he had done for us. Perhaps it was so important to Jesus because he knew that one day culture would come for our convictions. May we never get to the place where we become so naive to think that culture would not attempt to cancel our convictions. Howard G. Hendricks said, a belief is something that you will argue about, but a conviction is something you will die for. And we see the resemblance of this in Scripture. John 15, 13, it says, greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. I'm thankful that our forefathers believed in remembering what Christ had done and that they led with the conviction that our country would not sustain itself unless it was built on Christian values and upon biblical principles. You see, our country was founded on the conviction that all men are created equal. But today what we see in our culture is that we are not all equal. We see the belief by many that we are not all equal. And because of that, we've entered into an era where our culture is trying to cancel our convictions. So I want to propose to you this question. We want to propose this question to you today. Can Easter be canceled? Can the message of the cross be canceled? We look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 18, and it says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased him through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. 
a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So if we cancel Easter in our culture, does it cancel it? In our conviction. When we talk about the term or the idea of canceling, just to give you some examples of what we're talking about here that we've seen in our culture historic monuments and statues that have been removed from particular important places or buildings that are historic, historic symbols of our culture, even the Ten Commandments that have been removed from specific places. Why? Why have these things been canceled? Because those things remind us of who we were. They remind us of who we were, and we don't want to remember that. We don't want to remember who we were. We don't want to remember our past. And that's why our culture also wants to cancel the message of the cross. Because we don't want to be reminded of who we were. But yet canceling is to do just that. To cancel is to forget So when we attempt to cancel the cross, it is, in a sense, to forget the past, to forget righteousness or accountability, to forget the sacrifice that was made for us. But Jesus didn't want you and I to forget. He specifically did not want us to lose sight of the cross. That's why the two ordinances he left to the church were baptism and communion because he wanted us to do those things in remembrance of what he did. He wanted us to make a consistent practice of remembering what he did on the cross. So what is it to remember the cross? What does that mean for us to remember the cross? To remember the cross is to do three things. Number one, it is to reconcile the past. This deals with who we were. Number two, it is to honor his sacrifice, which deals with remembering what he did. And number three, to remember the cross is to live in accountability, which deals with how we are to live in response to what he did. But yet we try to cancel the message of the cross, I believe, for one of two reasons. Number one, We see in our culture the attempt to cancel the message of the cross or cancel Easter because we don't want to live accountable to his sacrifice. Or number two, we're simply blinded. We see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 in verses 3 and 4 and it says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So let's talk for just a moment about accountability. When it comes down to it, the idea of canceling Easter or canceling the message of the cross is simply an accountability issue. We don't want to be accountable because if there's a need for accountability, then we're admitting that there's a problem. And we don't want to remember what he did because that causes us to be reminded of who we were. And as a result, we would then have to be accountable to his sacrifice. So if we cancel the remembrance of it, we cancel the requirement of it. I'll say that again. If we cancel the remembrance of it, we cancel the requirement of it. But can we cancel the remembrance 
of what Christ did on the cross. Can we cancel that? Let me remind you of the question that we started with. If we cancel Easter in our culture, does that cancel it in our conviction? Church, today I want to propose to you the answer is no, we cannot cancel Easter in our conviction because of the cross. And so if we can't cancel it in our conviction, then we cannot cancel it in our culture. We cannot cancel the remembrance of what Christ did on the cross. So what does the work of Christ on the cross do for you and me that we cannot cancel it in our convictions? Think about that for a moment. What does the work of Christ on the cross do for us that it cannot be canceled in our convictions? If you're taking notes, we're going to look at Scripture. And there's three things that the cross does that we cannot cancel in our convictions. Number one, the cross reconciles. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 8, says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for who? Us. Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, more, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we by be saved by his life. And more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 17, says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Come home today. Come home today. Be reconciled to Christ. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And finally, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Oh, but I love verse 4. But God, come on church, but God, I was lost. I didn't know who I was, but God, I was not saved, but God, I was stuck somewhere in a dark, deep hole and I didn't think I was ever going to get out. I didn't think I was ever going to be anybody. I didn't think God loved me. I didn't think there was a purpose for my existence on this earth, but God saw me where I was and he met me and he picked me up and he said, I love you. And I'll go to the cross for you. 
But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him. And he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. No, it's the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no man may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. For good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Number two, what does the cross do? That it cannot be canceled in our convictions. The cross requires... It establishes the standard by which we are to live. Luke chapter 9 verses 23 and 24 says, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Micah 6, 8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And finally today, what does the cross do? What does the work of Christ on the cross do that it cannot be canceled in our convictions? It reminds, the cross reminds, it reminds us why we should live accountable. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14, Paul goes on to say this, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. And upon the Israel of God. Colossians chapter 2 verses 13 through 15 says. And you who were dead in your trespasses. And the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him. Having forgiven us all our trespasses. And verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. Can I tell you today, church, that the cross is not canceled, but your sin is. He canceled the record of debt that stood against us. And then he goes on to say, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And finally, in Colossians chapter 1, we back up to Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 20, and we see all of these things summed up in Scripture. The three things we just talked about that the work of Christ does on the cross that cannot be canceled in our convictions. We see it. Clearly here in Colossians 1, starting in verse 19, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. 
Amen. If, 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 if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting by the culture's winds, not shifting by the culture's uh, pleasures and amenities and deceptions, not shifting by those things. But, but if, you, if you stay there on the hope of the gospel, I love the fact that the gospel is powerful enough to free me. But the gospel is so much more powerful than that. The, the gospel doesn't just fight for me, but it also protects me. It keeps me from cultures trying to come in and take away my way of life and my lifestyle. Can I tell you that when we talk about how important that the proclamation of all creation has been concerning the gospel, we know it's important because we know that so many times our gospel becomes mediocre at best. Sometimes it becomes diminished and weak. And, and I wonder sometimes, can our gospel fall to the prey of culture? And Pastor Cable told us why culture cancel would love to cancel our celebration of the gospel but let me tell you something about the gospel the gospel just doesn't defend us against cultures but the gospel is a lifestyle that cancels cultures it cancels cultures what i love most when i played football i hated playing defense because all i had to do is sit there and wait for you to to, uh, to come at me and try to run over me. No, I had to be more aggressive than that. I had to come light you up. You know what I mean? And then, then the coach realized, we got to put this guy closer to the line because he got some anger problems, you know? <laughs> Finally, they put me on offense because I knew I, knew, I, I liked a good beating. I like to be on offense. I like to be the aggressor. And I love the gospel because the gospel doesn't just play, let's hide out in our house and just play safety. But the gospel says, what culture is it out there that denies my God his praise? Let's go cancel that culture. Can I tell you that if Christ's death on the cross offends culture, and it does, it's because they realize that Christ's res res resurrection from the grave cancels culture. Every aspect of his life, Jesus' life, every part of his life is impacted by this gospel. When we talk about the importance of the gospel, the gospel is telling a story. Yet the word gospel itself is really a derivative of two words. It means God and spell. We put those together, we call them gospel. And when we say that in that way that God is spelling to us and not telling us, his story, what we mean to say is, is that every part of his story matters. If you was to say my name and leave out the O, you would just call me, and I would never know you were talking to me. You can't ask to help you, you know what I mean? Ain't going to pay your bills, ain't going to change your tires, ain't going to pray for you, because don't exist. You have to understand every letter in my name matters. Just like every part of his story matters. And so when we spell out the gospel, every aspect of him, his birth, his obedience, even the time when he served as a carpenter's son, all that matters. Because his legacy matters. His legacy matters. Can I tell you there's three ways that, or three things that Jesus left us that cancel the cultures of this world. They are legacy Love 
and life, that Jesus left us those three things, that his legacy, his love, and his life. And no, I'm not going to preach for 30 minutes. Y'all thinking, oh, no, we got a whole other time. Just hang on there. We're talking about Jesus. This is Jesus' day anyway, right? His legacy for the believer cancels the culture of despair. Our world longs for you to live in despair. When you're in despair, then they have a control over you. COVID, they have a control over you. They want to put you in fear. They want to put you in a place where they can tell you, manipulate you, and it may be truth things, but fear is where the world longs to reign over you. And so when we see people throughout time who really long to have their legacy be greater than Jesus' legacy, they do it through a culture of despair and fear. As we look at the emperors and the czars and the kings and the more uh, significant men in time, what we see is they attempted to leave their name behind. They would have it, they would name cities after themselves. Um, they would have it uh, written in creeds and documents and things like that because they longed for their name to be remembered. And yet Jesus wasn't really about trying to make cities after him. He didn't have a cross named after him. His name, in fact, even though he didn't desire for people to remember his name in a great way, his name still yet was just remembered. We say it sometimes in, in a preacher joke that, that Jesus' name is remembered when we hatch people, when we match people, when we patch people, and when we dispatch people. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Should I explain that to you? <laughs> Can I tell you that of all the friends I ran with, nobody in my friend circle ever looked at me and said, Ah, oh, Buddha. <laughs> you know, we didn't cuss that way. We said another name that was more offensive to us. Because no other name really matters. There's no other God that really matters. They're, they're void and formless. And they have no bearing, no power in their name. But even the heathen knows when he takes his name that it's the one name he can express himself because he knows it's powerful too. Even the insane know this. Nobody, nobody becomes insane and says, I want to be somebody great. I want to be somebody so far-fetched. I want to be somebody great. Let me be Allah. No. In fact, insane people always claim themselves to be Jesus. Why is that? Because there is no one like Jesus. But in this matter of time, even time itself, is something that great men have longed to prove to themselves who they are, that they're great. Even time, they have tried to manipulate. Roman emperors and the French Revolution, the USSR, all these different entities have tried to control the calendar, and rename the calendar, and move the dates and the settings of the calendar around so you would remember who they are based off their events that Jesus was born the sixth year of Tiberius. So these, these things are trying to make us remember ourselves uh, who, who is most important. But, but that's not how Jesus works. In fact, one of the stories I read Concerning the USSR, Russia, they had a, a, a league of militant godless, um, uh, that's what it's called, league of the militant godless in the 20s. They tried to stamp out Christianity. They tried to stamp out the faith altogether, 1929. And their leader, Yamilian Yaroslavsky, I got that right the first time. He must be anointed here today. <laughs> he said, a, I almost want to say it again. Uh, he said a powerful statement. I tried to stamp out Christianity. He said this. Christianity is like a nail. He said, the harder you strike it, the deeper it goes. That's the God that we serve. 
That's the culture he created. What I, I love about that is that the cross, the cross created the culture, but the tomb, the resurrection substantiated it. It confirmed it. It made it immovable. We serve a God who creates cultures. We serve a God who cancels cultures. So I don't know where you came from in your life and what your past was like or what your dad was like or what your family name is like, but I can tell you that God cancels cultures in your life. That's what he does. Jesus not only changed the way we interacted with time, but Jesus even gave time a testimony. Because now, Jesus, now, now time can say there was a time before Jesus and there was a time after Jesus. Nobody else has that kind of testimony with time with Jesus. And Jesus didn't just come to, to help us govern our time. But what I love it is that Jesus come to deal with every time. Every time. You remember every time when you tell yourself, I'll never do this again, yet every time you do it. Every time you feel alone, you ask God, Lord, here I am in this place, and, and, and I, I thought I would never be alone. Have you, have you ever been hurt or discarded or looked over or cheated or passed up or abused or neglected? Have you ever felt like you've just been a huge failure every time you felt that? Can I tell you that he was the God of the every time? That he was also the God of every time you were ready to give up. He was the God when you were all alone every time you felt that. Every time you felt cast out and just worthless and you walked the fields trying to ask yourself, should I end it today or tomorrow? Should I rob it today or tomorrow? Should I leave it today or tomorrow? And every time you were in that moment, your God said, I'm the God of every time. Jesus' legacy doesn't, it doesn't impact time. It doesn't just impact time, but Jesus' love impacts our every time. You see this through the love. You see this, that his love through the believer cancels the culture of division. And can I just take a second to talk about this for a minute? Our culture that we live in seeks unity while promoting division. If you've ever studied intersectionality or CRT or critical theory, which is trying to get into our school systems, it's an attempt to promote equality by promoting equity in hopes that we'll have unity. Let me say that again. It's an attempt to promote equality by promoting equity in hopes that we'll have unity. In other words, they're trying to say that these things are equal and can coexist with each other. That a black transgender woman will be okay with an Arab who teaches her, her, her kids that Allah um, hates homosexuality, that they should kill them. Those things are not the same. Those things are not equal. We can't have unity while promoting division. Can I tell you that a 65-year-old Southern patriot is not okay with a 65-year-old man who thinks love is good at all levels, even a 10-year-old boy? Those things will never match up. Those things are not equal. You cannot have unity there. And can I tell you that for Bible-believing Christians, we believe that marriage is between one man and one woman. And if that's offensive, then the cross is for you. I know that's not popular to talk about in pulpits, but I don't care. I don't care. Because that cross did so much for me. And, and for whatever they try to do to silence my mouth, it will be very hard to silence my mouth. Because there's so much that I owe to him. The reason these views the world wants you to have doesn't work is because our rights in life will never be something that unites us. It's not the claiming of rights. It's actually the seeking of relationship. Because there's a sacrifice that was paid. Imagine if there ever was a person who had a right to claim, but sought sacrifice rather than self. 
Imagine if there was ever a person who lived as if, as if they were more important than himself. Can I remind you that equality does not equal unity? Equality does not equal unity. Hear me very clearly. The Lord did not call you to be equal to anybody. That's not, that's not what us Christians do. We don't seek equality with people. We don't want to be equal to anybody else because the word tells us to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count other people more significant than yourself. That's what the gospel is. That I don't see you as an equal. I see you as someone I can serve and lift up and hold up. I don't need to be equal with you. I need to love you. I need to, I need to help you. If I truly have Christ's love in my heart, why wouldn't I be sacrificial like he was sacrificial? In fact, he talks about this in Philippians uh, chapter 5. He says, this is the mind you're supposed to have. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ. Of, there we go. He was in the form of God, did not count equality. With God, he could have, but he didn't. A thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, he humbled himself, and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Can I tell you that when Jesus chose to die for you, he didn't want to initially, not because he didn't love you, but because he knew what he had to take. Remember what he said, nevertheless, Lord, nevertheless, not my will. Think about that for a second. He knew he had to go to the cross and face separation from the father momentarily but also the wrath of the father also disconnection from the father those things were heavy upon him it was so heavy that he sweat blood that's a serious condition but he said lord i know that if i don't do this i'm choosing lesser things and jesus said nevertheless lord let my choice express my love for the father and for those that you love that i would be willing to give up all my rights to not count them as equal because you know that Jesus is not equal to us nor are we equal to Jesus but he said if I can come and give myself as a ransom for many and serve that is the type of love that cancels the culture of division in our life there was a choice but Jesus not only comes to give us love but because of his love he gave us life his life in the believer cancels the culture of death. And this is what I love the most. I love that Jesus' life cancels the culture of death. Do you know what it is to live in a culture of death? I'm not talking about those kids who listen to Screamo, you know, and it sounds crazy. You're like, what in the world are you listening? I'm talking about a culture of death that you go to at work and your soul dies every day because you know you're in the wrong place with the wrong people, but you can't get out because you got bills and you're trapped and you're, you're tired of your job and you go home every day to complain to your wife because you're, you're in a moment that you feel like you're dying or you feel like your marriage, uh, that you're, that's just dying or you're in, a, in a, you're in a relationship, you're in a situation and there is no escape to it all. You're in this rat race and you feel like the culture of death is everywhere. What you watch on TV is telling you that you're doomed, that you ought to be doing this, these things and that things, that our world is coming unhinged, that our country is coming unhinged. We live in a world in a culture of death. There's no life. When's the last time you turned on the TV and you actually had life coming to you? It don't happen. It don't happen at all. But we know that this life that Jesus gives to us, 
cancels the culture of death. Turn with me to Luke chapter 24, 1 through 12. This is the day of resurrection here. Luke tells the story, an incredible story. I, I think I've probably read this so many times, not realizing its power. So Luke chapter 24, 1 through 12, starts off like this. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you? Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful man and be crucified on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Notice they said the eleven because Peter gave up. He gave up just like Jesus said he would. He denied him. And even put a curse upon himself if he was ever lumped into the fold of the disciples. And so here we have these three ladies talking to the eleven and to all the rest. So there were more. They were behind closed doors, scared. But now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, Mary the mother of James and the other women. But with them who told these things to the apostles. And so they're talking to the apostles. I, I imagine what it was like that day when they come in and, and tell them Jesus is not there. He is not there. He has risen. He has risen. Can you imagine the exuberance in their heart? This is who they knew to be. He was Jesus, the Messiah. Oh yes, all the things he taught us. It's real. It's true. It's right. Come see the apostles are like, no, it's probably just a fairy tale. I, I, I wonder if they may have just casually told each other, you know, some people just haven't faced reality yet. These women still hope that he's alive. We're his apostles. We're his sent ones. And we, we know he's not real or alive that's just a fairy tale you ever thought that your faith was a fairy tale you ever thought that this God was all a God in the Bible but no God in your life you prayed prayers you asked God to deliver you asked God to heal you asked God to show up you asked God to provide you asked God to restore you asked God to forgive but those things didn't happen this is just a fairy tale He's not real. You know, I, I don't know. I have sat with many people in life and counseling, and when I hear them tell their story, oftentimes it's the story that Jesus died and never rose from the grave. And that hurt and that pain that they have is a deep hurt and pain. And so I can understand to some degree when the apostles were saying, it's just a fairy tale. 
Because in our mind, they're thinking, they're thinking this. If Jesus was powerful enough to overcome the grave, why wasn't he powerful enough to prevent the cross? Right? God, if you really are able to heal me, why did you ever let me be sick in the first place? God, if you can restore my innocence, then why would you ever allow me to go through that situation in the first place? God, if you can pay all my bills and get me back on top, then how come you allowed me to lose my job in the first place? I thought you were a God who could prevent things and not just overthrow some things in your power. These are the questions that are real for us. It's always those questions. I think if I could sum it up, we think like this. Is God really good? Is he really good? Can I tell you what I love about this story? Is that after they read this thing, or they spoke this thing out to the apostles, it says, but these, seem, these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But, but there was somebody in the room that didn't believe in fairy tales. He heard what was being said, and he was no longer an apostle. He had already made his decision that, that he was denying Jesus. But something about this message was different. I believe that Peter was sitting here, and as he sat here and listened to the message, he wondered to himself, I wonder if that's true. Because if you remember, Peter, when he saw the cross, all his hopes in Jesus, that he would be king of kings and lord of lords, it was Peter that said that he is the son of God. And Jesus told him that no flesh revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. Peter knew who Jesus was. He thought he had a pulse on Jesus. And yet that day when he was on the cross, what happened was is that his hope died. His faith died. They didn't just put his Savior to rest. They put his salvation, his belief, his faith, his sacrifice. They put it all to rest that day. But when they said in the room that he's alive, it said that Peter rose up and that he ran. And that he ran. And that he ran. And he had to go find it. He said, no, 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 no. I know I left a place where salvation was. I left a place where healing was. No, no, no. I know a place where I left righteousness and faith and truth and justification. I left a place where the Messiah of all creation was here. I left him right here. He died right here. And when he saw the empty grave, he realized all the things that died lived again. That it lived again. That it lived again. I just want to ask you, what are you ready to live again? Will you stand with me? I want to do altar a little different today. I just want to ask, you got some things in your life that are ready to live again? What's dead? You gave up. It's okay.
it's okay. They walked with him for three years and gave up. It's okay. But who's ready for it to live again? As they worship, will you come and find the God who causes dead things to come to life?